Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, as we kick off this episode of the Deep Dive, last one of January, mm-hmm. last as it uh, comes to an end, why don't we talk about things we'll never do again, specifically things you'll never do again. Maybe, maybe when it comes to doubting certain people, athletes, <laughs> perhaps. Athletes named Joe, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. yes. Um, okay, we'll start off the podcast with this. I was wrong, and you were right. The Cincinnati Bengals are legit. They mm-hmm. are for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are going to the Super Bowl. Congrats, Dylan. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Um, they are legit, and it'll, it's going to be such a nightmare watching Joe Burrow run away from Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald and whatever four-man pressure the Rams throw his way that will be more than enough to get after him it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time I'm I'm excited to see Jamar Chase versus Jalen Ramsey though I think that'll be fun yeah no that's gonna be a great matchup and it's gonna be overall you know fun fun Super Bowl and happening down there in Southern California around you yeah look the tickets no way no way (laughs) (laughs) You don't have you don't have like five thousand dollars just to you know shell out for for one game. No, no, it's I mean it's already up to eight once once like the oh. Rams thing really kicked in like it's just yeah. I should have bought right then. <laughs> no profits you could afford Ex- it. Exactly, exactly. Uh as with so many investments, RJ, I, I could have made money if I had capital. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always the sticking point, huh? It is. It is. All right, so this week we've got just, I mean, we'll mention injuries. We don't really have updates on the injuries, unfortunately. And then we'll go through, you know, the the Kraken games this week. We had some interesting ones, most most of which ended poorly. And, uh, and then we're going to get into, the, you know, the real meat of today's podcast, which is our Ron Francis, his time as GM in Carolina Deep Dive Really excited to talk about that, all the trades he made, all the drafts that he was in charge of, all that stuff. Should be a lot of fun. All right, RJ. I you know, I benched it. We're gonna start there. A- any updates on Yarn Croak or Coolman? Uh not really. I mean Yarn Croak, we did get a little bit of clarity after last game. Uh Hackstall said that uh it was an injury that was, you know, from a previous game, probably reading between the lines, that means the Pittsburgh game. He did take warm-ups, and you know that's why he was such a late scratch. He took warm-ups and then just kind of decided, no, he, he couldn't go. He didn't feel good enough. So hopefully that means, you know, it's not too bad for him, you know, if he was able to take warm-ups. But yeah, you know, not a good sign that he didn't play, obviously. And then Carson Kuhlman slamming into the boards, hand, wrist, shoulder, whatever you want to call it, did not look good. Uh, no update on him yet. Uh, we'll probably get one before uh the next game you know tomorrow against boston yeah it's you know obviously hoping both are okay both have been playing really well of late uh really you know everybody seems to have liked what coolman's brought to the lineup it's going to be unfortunate missing him and then obviously yarn croak really for like the last month has just he's been on fire yeah he just turned it on he's been doing everything for this team so couple couple you know decent sized losses there for the kraken Thankfully, they have depth. They can they can try to survive these. It's just brutal when you're already missing Alexiak, Susie, all those guys. Hey, got Morgan Geeky back though. Yep, 
no, that's good. I mean, it's good to see him back in the lineup. He was there. Mm -hmm. It's just a healthy it, scratch. Yeah, I know. Um, but I want to, I guess, you know, if you have to look for a silver lining in these injuries, really, it's just not good. But at least some of these, you know, lineup controversies are kind of sorting themselves mm -hmm. out where it's just, yeah, the healthy guys are in, and especially on defense with Susie and Alexiak out. You know, there's always the, you know, why is Flurry or Borgen or whoever it is, you know, a scratch? Come on. You yeah. know, and it's just this unfortunate numbers game. But now, if you're healthy, you're in. Exactly. Maybe maybe not, you know, the position Hackstall wants to be in, but it's <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah. But but it does make things easy. All right. So kicking off the week of Kraken hockey, we had that game against the Predators. Coming off the big upset over Florida Panthers, Kraken, you know, we we're back on top. World beaters. We could we could do this against anybody except UC Soros. Mm-hmm. I mean it's one of those games where, again, you play well. I think we all thought the Kraken mm -hmm. played pretty well. But it, you kind of run up against the unfortunate reality that even some nights when you're on your game and you feel like you're doing the right things, you don't always get the two points. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's felt like such a struggle for the Kraken just to be on their game. It almost feels like when they are, it's an automatic win, <laughs> given how we've kind of been conditioned to, to look at that. Um, but sometimes it's not sometimes you run into a good goalie sometimes the bounces don't go your way and, and that's what it is yeah and and that's very much what it was in this one um you know theme of the week crack of getting goals from mccann and adam larson <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really what this week is known for um just the power play i mean i talked about it last week on the podcast going through all those games all of the missed power play opportunities i feel like this was another game where that really you know ends up biting them is just you got four power play opportunities you converted one that was awesome i, I believe it was the five on three though <laughs> like you kind of have to do it in that in that situation uh you, you know it's just i feel like a lot of these games have been they've been very much in them until late and then it's you know it's it's one of those if you'd if you had either along the way or late in the game capitalized on a power play opportunity, everything's different, and instead it's just you know Kraken came out they were playing well and then just as this game went on it just felt like they were getting more and more defeated by what this Nashville team was able to do. Yeah, it, it was just kind of grinding them down, and you got the sense, yeah, okay, we're we're not going to get this one done tonight. Yeah. Uh, Grubauer, I thought he played a good game. Hackstall was maybe a little bit different. Maybe that was just him, you know, trying to get him psyched back up. Uh, interesting comments from him. He did have that leaky one that was reminiscent of old school Grubauer. Yeah, at the end of the first. And mm -hmm. I know Hackstall didn't like the timing of that as well. Yeah, and why would you? Yeah. Um, but moving on, started the road trip, head out east, take on the Penguins. And lo and behold, Kraken get a win. Yes, an impressive one at that, too. I mean, the effort to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with such a good team. You know, Pittsburgh hadn't lost at home since November. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a team that just did not lose in their own building. And the Kraken hung with them for a full 60 minutes of really tough hockey, too. Mm -hmm. You had to stay structured any single lapse at all, and you're going to pay for it. And uh, they just, they didn't. They stuck with it the whole time. Yeah, and, you know, really, this is very, very much a game on paper in which the Kraken probably should not have won. Uh, not a lot of power play opportunities. Peng Penguins won for two. Kraken, again, went 0-2 on the power play. Only 
face-off percentage for the Kraken. Very much not good. Uh, you know, but it was. They just grinded out this game. Very much, you know, style of game we thought the Kraken would play before the season started. Seemed the kind of game that their team was built for. Grubauer getting it done. You know, Penguins get only one goal. Malkin shot off the power play. What are you going to do against this team, really? Uh, but for the most part, there was only maybe like three minutes this whole game where the Penguins looked like, you know, the Penguins at home have looked this year. The Kraken did such a good job of disrupting what they wanted to do, disrupting zone entries, just just doing everything, and then doing a good job of, of battling in front of Tristan Jari and trying to take him out of the game. Yeah, and ultimately they were rewarded with that McCann goal. You know, the deflection mm -hmm. in front takes the goalie completely out of it. Mm -hmm, for sure. And then Adam Larson again. McCann and Larson, this is your offense <laughs> this week. Gets it done in overtime. Boy, it does seem like their you know, whole, we're just going to play keep away with the puck thing whenever we get to these three-on-three -three overtimes. That's, that's just going to be their thing from here on out. But you know what? It's working. It is. They've got a plan. They're executing on it. I, I just love to see that, especially after the overtime woes earlier on in the season where it just felt like there was no plan. There was no execution on whatever plan there might be. Uh, they've really put it together and improved that area of their game. Uh, for sure. For sure. It's interesting because generally I'm in favor of being aggressive in any sport at any time. Like, I just think it's one of those things like you have to put pressure on the other team if you want to break them. If you play if you play it safe, you're going to just kind of, you know, cost yourself there. Uh, but I can't argue with the results of what their their whole thing is. I get it. If, you know, yes, we might not be doing too much because we're holding on to it and really making sure we don't turn over the puck. But the bottom line is, as long as they don't have the puck, they can't win. Like there is logic there. It'll be interesting to see how long that lasts, um, but but for now it seems to be working, so I say stick with it. Yep, absolutely. All right, all right. and then we get to yesterday's game. Just that, what a heartbreaker, RJ. Oh, man, it happened again. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what to say about this, it, and it's tough because... You know, you look, they, they didn't play terribly after, I mean, you know, okay, they tie the game, you know, mm -hmm. with about a minute to go. They didn't play terribly after that. Mm -mm. Um, you know, it's a tough play off a of face-off. Obviously, there's the, you know, the Shea interference, uh, you know, that, that was much talked about after the game, but that I still think usually doesn't get called at that. No, no way they're calling It's so that. hard to get a call. And then, you know, it's not even, you know, a, a lapse from Grubauer or whatever, just that shot from Keandre Miller. Mm -hmm. Like, what a shot. Yeah, it just, it found its way through all the traffic. It was perfectly placed. Unbelievable shot from Keandre Miller, somebody that we talked up during the during the game when we were doing our um, Patreon-exclusive live commentary. Thanks again to everybody who joined us for that. It was just, it was just this one that was destined to go in and win this game for the Rangers, and it's just like you know why it, it felt like destiny was just on our side we get gore to tie up this game after battling for that for so long and really it not looking like it was going to happen at all like this kraken right. team did not you know you'll look at the shots on goal totals 42 to 24 in favor of the kraken but that does not tell the story of this game at all in my opinion again power play horrendous one for five 
with that one being you're on the power play and you have the goalie pulled. So it's six on four. Like again, the only way this team could score on the power play is with two, you know, a two man advantage. It's ridiculous. Just, I don't know. I, I thought the defense had been looking really, really good for the Kraken playing well in front of Grubauer. I felt like this game though, some of that started to erode. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see the cracks in the defensive structure and, um, you know, Grubauer did a good job kind of plastering over those cracks and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and making up for some things. Um, you know, you look at the Rangers goals that just really kind of impossible to stop the ones that did get by him. Uh, that great uh, that great puck movement on the Rangers power play for their first goal. I mean, that was gorgeous. It was. Uh, you'd like to see maybe that sort of thing every now and then from the crack. And even though they it, it don't really have that kind of five man unit, the Rangers can put out there. Um but yeah, I think the power play too, it's just kind of where we were at around the start of the season where it's, there's no creativity left. There's no new looks or anything. It's something they really need to go in and reevaluate. Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those, I felt like the, the defense did some good things. They did a good job of keeping Grubauer's sight lines open for the most part. Keandre Miller goal. I don't think he saw that one, but again, a lot going on there. But it just felt like, yes, not, you know, obviously on the power play, the Rangers could do whatever they wanted. And it felt like at other times they could do that, too. And it just I want to see them be maybe a little bit more active getting into passing lanes like you can you can kind of know where they're going to be. There's only so much you can do in one zone of a rink. You know what I mean? Like there's 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 only so many things. Offenses are pretty universal at this point. Like, like we talk a lot about the power play, right? Like everybody runs the same power play these days. Like there's, there's not a lot of different stuff that teams are trying to do. So you should be able to just kind of work on getting, at least getting sticks in these passing lanes, but sometimes right. it's cracking team. The example I think of also is that, um, that one timer from Zabinajad that led to the Lafreniere goal right in front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were feeding him all game from that spot. It's one of those things you kind of have to know where they're going with it. Now, if you're shorthanded, you know, yeah, there's an extra guy out there. Yeah. Someone's going to be left uncovered, but I believe that one was at even strength. It was. Uh, and that's a passing lane that you kind of have to take away. Exactly. And, you know, we saw that to some extent in the Pittsburgh game, too. There were times where Pittsburgh was just able to set up five on five as though they had a power play and just Kraken were powerless to stop it. But it was really because nobody was forcing the issue. I just, mm-hmm. I, I want to, again, I, I like being aggressive. Maybe it's okay to be aggressive in some of these five on five instances where, you know, your, your guys are getting tired. It's okay to maybe push, try to, try to force it out, try to get a turnover, try to make them just make a mistake because you're not giving them the time and space to do exactly what they want. You know, they'll make an aired pass. And the next thing you know, you can, you can win a puck battle for it and, and send it out. So that's what I want to see from this defense moving forward. Like in Grubauer still, I, I don't think that these games that they've lost have necessarily been because of him. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, he contributes more so in that Predators game than in the one yesterday. But I, I still feel like we have the Grubauer that we, you know, kind of were expecting all year long. Yeah, if you get a full season of this, you know, 50, 60 starts, whatever you want of this, you're fine. Yes. Yeah, you take it every day of the week. Looking ahead, RJ, got two more games. Boston, as you mentioned, tomorrow night. 
And uh, on Wednesday, we get to finally play the Islanders, <laughs> the game yeah, that is just that one. destined to never happen. It seems like. Um, so we finally get finally get that game, uh, and then we get the All Star break where we get to enjoy seeing you know Everlay and and, and uh, the other one. There is no other one. The Kraken just have one All Star. Yeah, it's right? just Everlay. I I was spacing <laughs> because we were making such a big deal about Geo going. But that I oh, remembered yeah. that Did didn't not happen. That vote for the last man in. Sorry, everyone. Gosh, can't imagine why. Um, yeah, so we get to watch Everlay. We get to watch everybody else. It should be it should be fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, certainly looking forward to the skills comp. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. I mean that'll that'll be fun. Uh, and hey, you know, there's uh, another skills competition where we might get to see more than just Jordan Everlay of the Kraken players. That is right. Why don't you tell everybody about it? Yep, so the Kraken announced the other day uh, they're going to have a Super Skills Showcase event uh, that's going to be on Saturday, February 12th uh, from 3 to 4.30 p.m. at Climate Pledge Arena. And I- I'm just going to read the release from it because this is this is what we know. Uh, this is a one-of-a-kind event where fans will be able to watch Kraken players compete against one another in a series of unique skills challenges that will show off their speed, accuracy, strength, and chirping abilities. Uh, This includes finding out who is our fastest skater, who can juggle a puck on their stick the longest, and who has the most accurate shot. Uh, We will also showcase our broadcast crew, who will be live from the benches. Fans can expect special celebrity guests, contests, giveaways, and more. We're excited to give fans an opportunity to see our team in a different light. So, uh, actually, tickets just went on sale this morning, uh, the 31st at 10 a.m., so about an hour ago as we record this. Uh, and tickets are priced at just $10 with proceeds benefiting the One Roof Foundation. So I think this is going to be an awesome event. I love that the Kraken decided to do this. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this on some of the post-game lives. Why doesn't every team do this every year? Like, it's so obvious to me. Right. It, it just It's this perfect event to show off your player's personality uh you know the skills i mean it's the ultimate kind of fan outreach event mm-hmm. too i mean um and i'm so glad the kraken uh you know treated it the way they did as far as making tickets only 10 bucks mm-hmm. you know goes to charity i could see some teams you know that that would just make this oh it's a season ticket holders event or something you know where you know just closed event keep our season ticket holders happy and a fun thing like that but it's not what you want to do with something like this. This is the perfect thing to get people into the sport. Um, and, you know, for fans who already enjoy it to really, you know, kind of get to see the players up close, their personalities, their skills, all of that. So I'm glad they made it as accessible as they have. Um, yeah, I'm just happy with how they've executed so far on it. Yeah, and it should be a lot of fun. I'm very curious about this whole chirping thing. Mm-hmm. Like, is, do they just mean like, oh, everybody's going to be mic'd up? Or are we going to have like, you know... Uh, either some sort of debate or yo mama contest or what's going on. (laughs) I know. Talk about a blast from the past, right? Um, Interesting to see how that goes and wondering if, you know, Brandon Tanev is going to be one of these celebrity guests for some sort of chirping event. He must be. Certainly if there's a chirping event, I mean, that would be a huge error to not have him involved. (laughs) Yes. uh, If there was a dedicated event for chirping, because uh, he's got to be the front runner. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. That one, it's going to be amazing. Again, so happy that they're doing it. This should be a standard thing forever. Um, 
yep. that that you know not only the Kraken, every team should do because as we've talked about, All Star Game, eh, it's all right, it's fine, it's cool, whatever. All Star Skills Comp, that's where it's at. That's what everyone has always seemed to care about more. It, it's just it's just so much more fun. You get to see these guys be humans and have fun and be around mm-hmm. each other and see the best in the game doing fun wacky stuff in you know breakaway challenges and stuff it's just so much yeah. better uh so definitely happy that the kraken are doing this and, and giving all the fans like it's it's the ultimate form of fan outreach really it is it absolutely is and i remember watching you know the skills competitions growing up for the nhl ones and just kind of looking like okay mm-hmm. where are the players on my favorite team right just wanted to watch yep. them the whole time because i wanted to see them it's going to be all Kraken. Yeah. So I've, I'm really excited to see that. Yes. Um, all right. Getting into the heart of the podcast, RJ. Here Ron Francis has GM. What's his history pre-Kraken? Well, it's a you know four-ish year stint in Carolina, of course. Now, when we decided to look at this, he his management career with the Hurricanes technically goes longer. It goes back to June of 2011 when he was director of hockey ops. We're going to focus specifically on when he was GM as well, you know, named GM. I, I just think that way it kind of cuts down on the overall time frame and it gives us a little bit more of an accurate view of what he would do with the Kraken and what he's been that doing and what he's trying job. to do. Yes, because it's, it's literally the same job. So really looking at... Um, uh at 2014 through the end of the 2018 season but before the 2018 draft Mm because he was not around for that one he was relieved of duty before that and obviously a year later hired by the kraken in 2019 so rj what do you want to focus on first do we want to focus on draft classes first do we want to focus on trades with you know certainly an emphasis on trade deadlines given that's really what i think everybody's looking forward to right now uh, I think here, let's start with the drafts. Cause I think okay. that's an area where Francis has probably kind of emphasized the drafting and developing. Certainly mm-hmm. it's kind of what's been sold, you know, to us as the way that this team is going to be built. So I think we should start with that. Okay. Well, looking back at his first draft class as general manager, you look at the 2014 draft instantly, you see a pretty familiar name up top, their first round pick seventh overall Hayden flurry. Yep. I mean, that's uh, first pick there in his tenure as GM. And it's a reason that Flurry's name was also kind of linked to the Kraken when it was, you know, thought that he might be available. Um, now, as a seventh overall pick, probably not the result you want. Still a fine hockey player. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, thoughts on that one, Dylan? I, you know, I, I feel like a broken record at this point with Hayden Flurry. I love the whole, you know, the shots, all that stuff, all of his offensive elements felt like the rest never came to be, though. Like, it, it just felt like it was, I don't know, it, he never came together as a as a, as a a defensive prospect. Obviously, Carolina's had this stack system for a long time. We're going to be talking about another one of these guys, Jake Bean, very shortly, mm-hmm. where it's just they have no ability to to just break this roster they have so many good good players that being said there was opportunity and Hayden Fleury never quite seized it and we're seeing it somewhat here with Seattle too right like if not for the injuries he's been someone who's been scratched a lot this year by Hackstall and the coaching staff so 
I don't know. I see what they were going for in 2014 when you draft him. Big kid, 6'3", 200 plus. Like I said, he had an amazing shot, tore up uh, things in Red Deer. But I don't know. If you if you look at the draft as a whole, at some of the guys taken you know right behind him, there were there were better players available. Maybe right. not defensemen, but better players. And that's the thing. You look at the next two picks. You got William Nylander and Nikolai Ehlers. You know, both of them turned out to be very good forwards, um, which is interesting though because there aren't a whole lot of defensemen at, at this point in that draft class that are kind of first round ready. You've got Hayden Flurry there at seven, Julius Honka at fourteen, you know, Travis Sanheim seventeen, mm-hmm. Tony D'Angelo at nineteen. But then that's it for the first round. Right. Um, so a very defense light draft class, and you wonder if maybe. You know, he might be looking for a position there. We'll see if we can if identify that as a theme or not, uh, you know, drafting for position. Yeah, it is it is interesting because there is a lot of defensemen that that, that are taken by, by Ron Francis, as we mm-hmm. will find out. Now, I love this pick in the second round. Alex Nedeljkovic, goaltender, obviously came on for Carolina in a big way last season. You know, it took him a while, very much like a lot of goaltenders we've talked about throughout this season rj draft him you know fairly high second round 37th overall that's that's not nothing takes them several years though to develop some goalies just take longer to develop so you don't necessarily see that payoff i mean really you're talking about carolina seeing that payoff last year and you know 2020 2021 after he was drafted in 2014 but that's just kind of the way things go for for goaltenders sometimes and uh but you know what he showed up when they needed him last year and and now he's showing up for detroit yeah i have no problem with that pick i i don't mind taking swings on a goalie from kind of the second to fourth round especially if you can get one of the top goalie prospects in the draft um so yeah no i think that's a fine pick i'm trying to uh look at the goalies that year yeah he that was the third goalie pick um Mm -hmm. of, of the of that draft and yeah just just throw a dart at the dartboard and, and you know that one landed right and i i liked him a lot back then back in the day like mm-hmm. I, I liked him playing at plymouth and then later flint uh <laughs> that whole situation <laughs> went down um and and you look at the at the goaltenders taken all around there because you know you have another one taken a couple picks later you have you, oh my gosh i mean you had one two you had four goaltenders taken in like seven picks there and um I, I thought he's turned out to be, I mean, he's been the second best one of yeah, the bunch. Yeah, so. Thatcher Demko, of course, taking the pick right before. So he wasn't yes. there. He wasn't available. But he's kind of in that range as far as taking a goalie. You know, that's kind mm-hmm. of when the run was there. So, yeah, I, I got no problem with that one. Going on into the third round, uh, Warren Fogel, pretty good pick. You know, anytime you can get 240 games, uh, you know, a 240 game NHL career out of a third round pick you're doing something right in my opinion yeah no gotta like that pick you know one of those kind of you know sneaky good players you can find in the third round and looking at the third round of that draft again he's probably the second best player out of that round or at least you know second most games played behind Braden Point obviously Mm -hmm. Braden Point has the edge but um yeah to, to find a good player out of that is good uh for sure so you know, then we start looking down. Really, the only other player of note they had a couple, a pair of of fourth round picks. 
Lucas Walmark, probably the only other player of note for Carolina in this draft class. Again, someone who, you know, he had a decent career. Not not anywhere this year, though. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember he was someone that we were looking at with the Blackhawks last season mm-hmm. as maybe a, a potential expansion draft pick, knowing that he had the Ron Francis connection. Um, but, hey, you know, as a fourth rounder, like, that's fine. If you get a guy who play over 100 NHL games, you'll take it. Yeah, and, and someone who contributed depth-wise for, uh, you know, a handful of teams throughout his career. It's it's not bad. Again, any certainly anything beyond the third-round pick is an absolute dart throw, and I think you could probably at times put in the third round into there as well. So yep. anytime you can hit on those, you're doing something good. So I, I like this 2014 draft. You got a lot of, you know, you got a lot of, Certainly games played by guys and guys who contributed to Carolina's success over the last, you know, half decade or so in there, as as well as a familiar face in Hayden Fleury. Um, now, I will say Carolina around this time, certainly heading into that 2014 draft and, and 2015 and stuff was known as having one of the better scouting departments. And that was something that slowly eroded. Uh, I don't know that it would be because of Ron Francis. There's other <laughs> things involved, I think, as well. Um, but it was one of those things, and, and we're going to see as we start going through these draft classes, that the draft classes, the, the hits, certainly the late-round hits, start to go away a little bit as we go. And I, and I do think that that's part of it. And I say that only because it is really important. Scouting departments are one of those places, you know, you can try to do as much as you want via analytics, but you do need the, you know, eyes on some of these players at times, and you need to make sure that you have people around who can, you know, consolidate all those reports, all of those numbers, and really help out the GM, because GM's got a lot on his plate. It's not like he's watching tape of all these guys. You know what I mean? Like, like, yes, Ron Francis guy making this, making these picks. Certainly if you're you know picking top five, like they were with Noah Hannafin in 2015, as we get into this next draft, Ron Francis is very much involved in that. But beyond that, they're too busy to be watching tape on anybody. They're too busy to do, to be doing all that. So it's very important to ha- make sure you have a scouting department behind you that you value their opinions, you trust their opinions, and you give them the tools to succeed to help you out come draft day because that's because uh, ultimately the draft is going to come down to you <laughs> it's right. going to be reflective now, of you yeah no you kind of got into that and I'm, I'm glad you did because um you know you're a former scout you, you kind of have mm-hmm. some knowledge of how this sort of thing works and i mean is what i'm kind of hearing from that is that these later round picks you know guy, guys mm-hmm. you know third fourth fifth sixth that a lot of the times is more the scouts purview you know as far mm-hmm. as finding those guys those are the guys you advocate for after kind of seeing all year versus maybe these top picks kind of you know anything in the first round maybe that's more the gm because you know he is keeping an eye on those top prospects and ultimately those are the biggest decisions that he needs to make is that is that fair to say absolutely that's exactly how it goes down again you're talking anytime you're picking certainly top 10 you're you're factoring that person very much into your you know that year or even the next year's plans as far as roster construction so you really want to know okay where is this guy at can can he come in right away are we going to want him to come in right away what position is he just so that they can focus on planning around for that a lot of the later round guys you're also you know very much like hey if they develop 
awesome. We'll find a spot for him. They can kind of come in as a cheap option, whatever. But um, but yes, first round picks, obviously high first round picks, very reflective of a GM's record. Tends to be one of those things that owners and fans all point to. If the team starts screwing those up, that's that's the quickest <laughs> way to get fired as a general manager, really. So it's very important for the GMs there. But yes, later, once you start getting into the dart throw things, that's where, you know, GM will basically be at a draft table and they'll look at everybody and be like, anybody got some, like, like you got any feelings about somebody? And if it seems like the right spot, a scout will just, you know, say, throw out a name and be like, yeah, I like this guy. And, and, you know, some GMs, that's all it takes. I've heard stories of some where it's just like, okay, they'll just run with that. Like they just, they trust their guys. Others, they'll make you, you know, make a case for them. And then they'll just take them because, again, what are they, they, they don't know who, who to take in the sixth round, really. Nobody's nobody's looking at those guys if you're an NHL GM. So that is very much how it goes is they'll, they'll ask you. And if you've got the conviction to to kind of state your, you know, stake your job on it and say, like, no, I like what, you know, or at least this aspect of what this player can bring, they'll run with that. And uh, those are those are the fun, exciting moments as a scout. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. But I mentioned it. 2015. Top five pick. What an absolutely loaded draft this was. And Carolina went with Noah Hannafin, who I think for a long time felt like maybe, you know, a little bit of a disappointment compared to some of the players picked, uh, you know, in the next five picks behind him. But really, he's carved out a nice, nice uh, role for himself in the NHL. Yeah, he has. And it's, you know, kind of one of those, you know, safer roles, you know, top four kind of roles. I mean, you, you look at the next defenseman draft and it's, you know, Provorov, Zach Wierenski. Um, and, and so it's kind of tempting to look at that and, and kind of criticize the pick. Um, but yeah, I think it's another case of, I, okay, Dylan, I have a question for you. Do you think it's a case of kind of a, you know, a safer pick of knowing that this guy's going to be around? Or do you think it's, you know, maybe like a Hayden Flurry kind of seeing the skills going for an upside thing. I'm trying to remember what we were thinking of Noah Hannafin because I remember we were at that draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did you think of, of, you know, him as that pick? Noah Hannafin was a very well-regarded, well-rounded defenseman. It was one of those, like, you maybe could question the high-end talent, but it was like he seemed like a surefire, he's going to be a top-pairing guy. And that's why he mm-hmm. was he was very much the clear number one defenseman to be taken. Uh, he had performed very well at Boston College, so you, you'd seen him against some higher-level competition than maybe some of the other guys. Um, it was just one of those things where he didn't have one skill that jumped off the board. It was just that he did everything so, so well. And so, you know, looking back on it, maybe you would like one skill to look extremely good to make him a top-five pick. But the bottom line is, he is he's played you know, a hundred more games than Zach Rowenski. Like he's played more than anybody else taken uh, in this draft. I think if we, if we break it down, he is the games played leader amongst this draft. So it's not like he was a bad pick at all. He's going to have a very long NHL career. It's just, I don't know that he ever lived up to the hype of being this kind of, you know, top two surefire defenseman who's going to be there for like 20 years hasn't really happened for him but he's going to be a top four guy who's going to play close to 20 years because he's he's just solid at everything he it's just he never developed past being super solid you know what i mean yeah no that makes sense so second round that's mm-hmm. that's the big hit in this draft class yes sebastian aho i mean 
a home run. There's just nothing else you could say about it. 365 points in 405 games played. An absolute stud, and he's a big reason why Carolina is the is the juggernaut that they are today. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the clear 1C. Um, you know, you find your franchise center in the second round. That's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I would like to kind of hear the really the story behind the scouting, that whole process with that pick, because, I mean, that's just a franchise changer. It is. And and if you look at it, you know, he this that's only his second European pick. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, like he, he was not someone who targets Europe specifically. You look at the previous draft that it's just Lucas Walmark, obviously a fourth round pick. Here you've got Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, I don't know the story behind it, but an absolute amazing pick, an amazing steal. You look at some of the guys. I mean, this was an extremely deep draft class. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of second round picks who have played a lot of games, but Sebastian Ajo just jumps off the board here as as being the best of them. Yep, for sure. With no real challenger either. Like, just an absolute steal. So that was a good pick for him. Then no third round pick this year. Start looking. Only one other player has uh, played any time, and that's Nicholas Waugh. Which he's carved out a decent he's... role for himself in Vegas. I mean, you know, good good kind of supporting center. As a fourth rounder, it's, I, I like that. Exactly. I think that's going to be one of the themes is finding these bottom six forwards to come in, like like making sure you're hitting on those, which again, big, big deal as far as always having cheap guys you can plug into the lineup know they're going to get the job done they can fit into your system they've they've grown up in it you have familiarity with them that that is something that the good teams have that and the bad teams don't so you know what i mean like like it it does end up mattering and um real quick i was wrong they did have one more player from this draft class make it and that is uh steven lawrence who uh, was their seventh round pick 186 overall 83 games play at the NHL level. Good, good for yeah. him. All with Carolina. Yeah. Took him a couple yep. years, but yeah, I mean he's there this season. You know, it's anytime you can hit on a seventh rounder, you know, get get 80 uh, games played at least. Uh, that's that's a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you know, get bring in those cheap options when you need them. When you start running into salary cap issues, that's that's mm-hmm. what they're there for. 2016, and you got two first round picks. A lot of lot of ammunition to work with. Picking thirteenth overall, they take Jake Bean. Now we talked a ton about Jake Bean over this offseason, RJ. Yes. A lot of people a lot of people are high on him. I'm not one of them. I think I think he's just Hayden Flurry two Fantastic shot, but the rest of the game just never has kind of coalesced around that. I I don't know. He's finally cracking the lineup this year for Carolina or for Columbus, excuse me. Like he's finally found his his way to the NHL, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think this this pick we can probably be a little bit more critical of, um, you know, at thirteenth overall. And and yes, you know, the, the skill certainly was there, um, you know, but this was kind of a D heavy draft class. And you mm-hmm. look at the next two D picks, you know, at 14, the very next pick, Charlie McAvoy to Boston. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, three picks later, Jacob Chikrin mm-hmm. uh, to Arizona. And those are two very good defensemen and, and, and two guys that certainly the, the Hurricanes and Ron Francis must have been looking at and considering, you know, given <laughs> who they ended up deciding to pick. Um, so I, I think we can, you know, maybe call this one of a bit of a whiff there. Yeah, this this is where it feels like 
you can start seeing a pattern with Ron Francis. Obviously, he's taking defensemen. Okay, that's that is <laughs> obvious. But like I said, Jake Bean felt a lot like Hayden Fleury. Doesn't have the size of Hayden Fleury, but it felt like okay, this is very much in the era of Eric Carlson's doing a lot in Ottawa, and it felt very much like okay, if you can find a defenseman who can you know skate pretty good and can just score a bunch, you know, potentially be a 20 goal scorer from the point. Like that's, that's the unicorn. You know what I mean? That's, that's the guy you're searching for. And I think maybe Ron Francis kind of fell into that trap a little bit with a Jake Bean over those other guys that you mentioned, because those other guys, I mean, it's, it's, you can't argue with the results that they've had compared to Jake Bean. Like, it's just been obvious. I know Jake Bean, tougher path to the NHL just because of Carolina's depth on D. But I, I just, I didn't understand the pick back when it happens. Don't really understand it now. Jake Bean is fine, but he's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. But never fear, Carolina has another first round pick this year. That is true. That is true. Uh, you get Julian Gauthier, and that's that. You know, you got him. Cool. Like that <laughs> didn't do much for Carolina. By the time he really made it to the NHL, shipped off to the Rangers, where he's been in and out of the lineup for them for several years now. Just, just one of those things. I remember him. It was one of those. Again, felt like. Felt like Ron Francis maybe fallen into that trap of you're looking for that big, bruising, powerful winger with size, going to drive to the net, all that great stuff. Ooh, no. He's got the scoring touch. No. Those guys, like, unless you're absolutely sure you have that guy, don't don't go searching for it in the first round. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so rare to find those guys with, with size, and usually when they do have that scoring touch and it all does come together, they go higher than pick 21. They do. Yeah, those are the guys that go first or second overall. <laughs> like yeah. when you have them and they they are super legit like that, they they are way they're found much higher in the draft. I, I don't know. I I mean, look, there wasn't like some home run hit really behind him through the rest of this first round. Like there's some mm-hmm. nice players in there, Brett Howden, Sam Steele, but you know, it wasn't like there was a home run that you totally missed out on here. So uh, you can't blame him there, but um, still it just felt like one of those things we've seen so many GMs get burned by it and they just refuse to learn that lesson. Yep. So we'll we'll go looking forward and see if, you know, if that's a lesson that he learned or, you know, yes. From that Uh, second Uh, round pick 2016 uh, Yanni Kukunen Kukonen. Kukonen. I've heard Kukonen. Kukonen. But... I'm looking at the pronunciation here on Hockey Reference. It's Kuokunen. Oh, okay. Kuokunen. Um, you know, maybe that's wrong, but that's that's what it is <laughs> here. Uh, again, somebody who's who's starting to have you know carve out a nice niche in the NHL for themselves, but not on Carolina. And this is the other thing that I've been noticing, which is, you know, a lot of these guys. Once Ron Francis left, they traded away a lot of his picks. Yep. No, I mean, it was definitely kind of this new management. We're going to, you know, have our guys and maybe they didn't necessarily believe uh, in a lot of those Ron Francis picks. Mm hmm. And I think that's interesting because, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with 
Carolina's results post Ron Francis. So what does that Mm -hmm. say? These guys clearly have value. They're playing in the NHL, so they're not bad players. Uh, Is it just that nobody felt they were going to fit into Brenda Moore's system? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's a unique system that works very well for them. I don't know. I don't entirely know what to make of that. Because like I said, it'd be one thing if these guys all completely flamed out. But they're not. They're all they are all NHL players. They're they're depth guys, don't get me wrong, but again, they're NHL players. These were hits in, in draft classes. I don't I just don't know I don't know what to make of that really. Yeah. I it's it might say something as far as because you always wonder how much of the hurricane's current success you can attribute to Ron Francis. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think there's a, there's a good amount, but it's interesting to see the kind of the mindset as far as maybe wanting to distance themselves from some of his picks. Yeah, I think when we start getting into the trades, we might be able to find more. Because yeah. really, the only guy we've been able to bring up has been Sebastian Ajo. Yep, and and you know with how good he is, you can't distance. Yeah. Your, you, you no. just got you have a franchise center there. No, um, I mean Nedeljkovic up to last year, but yeah, it's it's been mm-hmm. interesting. Then. We get into the last draft class. The last draft that Ron Francis had with the Carolina Hurricanes. You want to talk about our first pick here? Yes, uh, we've got uh, Martin Nietzsche here. uh, And he finally picks a forward in the first round. Mm -hmm. I'm amazed. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and you look, there was a run of five defensemen picked shortly after that in a row um, who I guess, you know, Maybe didn't feel all that good about, or maybe just wanted to go with a forward that year. But, uh, you know, Nietzsche has actually been a a pretty good pick. Um, You know, he's a good scoring winger, you know, the kind of guy at 12, you got to be happy with, Um, you know, Nick Suzuki, the next pick, which, you know, maybe a little bit better, but, Mm -hmm. um, and, and Josh Norris, the, you know, the next uh, forward after that, Robert Thomas, you know, you had some good forwards around there. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, I think, you know, he's, he's in that, in that category and, and was still a fine pick. Yeah, he's been fine. Uh, I mean, he's still with Carolina, so they've they've found value for him. You know, I guess I don't know. It's hard because for me, I've never he's never wowed me in the ways that again you feel like maybe he should six three one ninety kind of. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel that when I watch him play all the time. But the numbers kind of speak for themselves. 41 points in 53 games last year, 22 points in 38 games for him this year. Not a huge goal score, probably never going to reach 20 goals in a season, or if he does, it'll be kind of one of those lucky years, right? Where all the bounces go your way. But he's not a bad player, and I do think that, you know, Brenda Moore has found a, a nice role for him. It's just, yeah, you look at obviously Nick Suzuki being the next pick, like maybe you don't have to do certain moves that that Carolina has had to made in years past if you have Nick Suzuki in the system uh, or Josh Norris. I don't know. It's it's all if if fans and all that nonsense. Um, did a good job to stay away from defensemen, though, because none of those defensemen, you know, exactly. I was just looking at that run of defense. I'm like, good thing he did not and, fight there. And I will say, you know, looking back at this draft class and remembering what this draft class was, really, all the guys went right before his pick. Like this is one of those drafts where there was 11 guys and they went the top 11 and then it was like, okay, Carolina at 12, this is where, you know, that next tier kind of comes in and you're the person who's got to try to kick that off. It's the worst position to be in, in any draft. Absolutely. It's really tough. Um, 
that being said, Michael Resmussen should have never been in that top 11. <laughs> just just going to hammer that one home. Just saying. Yep. Again, don't draft for size. If the skill is not there, don't draft for size in mm-hmm. that high in the first round. Ah. But uh, yeah, so interesting spot. Maybe that's one where you'd like to see Carolina move down. And maybe at the time they explored that. I obviously don't remember if that was, you know, they took that one down to the wire because they were trying to trade down. But that to me is, those are the key moments to trade down is when, okay, the last of that tier is gone. You know, maybe there's 20 guys left in this tier. Trade down, accumulate more dart throws later on in the draft. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if if Ron Francis does that uh, potentially this year looking at yep. things depending on how they finish out the year where the where the lottery ends up and everything it, it'll be something to watch yeah now you were you were talking about Rasmussen and and the drafting for size mm-hmm. uh kind of goes well into these next couple picks mm-hmm. in this draft because well there's there's a defenseman in there in the second round but i see a couple big centers that he goes with uh in etu uh Lostarainen and uh morgan geeky Right. That is both very three, both centers. That is very much something that he did. Uh, we can get to Morgan Geeky in a second. Um, but, you know, you you look at um, E2 and again, he's playing for a different team. He's not yep. he's not with Carolina anymore. Carolina, all these guys, they'll play one to two years with Carolina. They'll get to the NHL, get a cup of coffee, and then they're somewhere else. <laughs> like like they mm-hmm. prove that, hey, they're an NHLer. And then they then they move them off. In this case, it's to Florida. Again, though, this seems like the appropriate place to draft someone like that. Okay, you're drafting a center with size. You obviously want that size, but you're not drafting them to be a franchise guy, because the bottom line is they don't have the skills to be franchise guys. We're seeing that very much with Morgan Geeky, right? We wanted him mm-hmm. to kind of explode this year and and come out of his shell and be something that it's possible he's just not. It's possible he is just a depth center with size. Super valuable. You need those guys come playoff time. You need those guys as you're grinding out the regular season, dealing with injuries, all that stuff. He has enough skill that he can slide into your top six if you need him to, to to cover up for, you know, a two-week injury absence or something. But it's, you know, it's it's hard for someone to be the complete package when it comes to size and skill. That's why the few of them that there are are, you know, the highest paid players in the NHL and we all know their names and um, that's just the case. But I, I like it. it's appropriate drafting these guys where they were drafted because that's where you draft them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of similarities there. And, you know, Losterainen, who's with Florida now and Morgan Geeky, they've kind of got similar numbers, similar type of game. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see what, type of player that uh that ron francis is is kind of going after there right and this is kind of right around that time where carolina they're they're trying to figure it out try to figuring out what's going to be the thing that's going to kind of push us over the top here you know what i mean like like things were obviously this is the last draft class for ron francis so you know he knew that that they needed to get going (laughs) and and you think well maybe if one of these guys can hit and come in and be the guy you can you can get it done and um you know kind of you can surprise on the upside a la sebastian ajo does didn't happen though just didn't happen still good though to get the nhl careers that you've gotten out of those two picks it shows that you know you you made some decent calls there though yeah so i mean overall 
Like, what are we thinking? What are our main takeaways from from these drafts? That that largely they're all right. Like, I yeah, they're very okay. <laughs> yeah, you're very good at finding some depth guys, getting guys that can play in the NHL. Light on star potential. Sebastian mm-hmm. Ajo really being the only one, and that happened in one of the deepest draft classes of all time. And you know, potentially you got lucky there. But you're talking about having a 7th overall pick, a 5th overall pick, a 13th overall pick, a 12th overall pick. And and in all four of those cases, not walking away with somebody that that has really blossomed into being this like franchise cornerstone kind of guy. Exactly. And that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of my biggest takeaway. And it's also kind of a personal preference thing because I, I know there are a lot of people that that kind of like drafting safe and going with guys like that. But I think you have to kind of swing for the fences with those picks and try and get a franchise cornerstone, try and get a superstar, because that's kind of the only place you're really going to get one. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to acquire one of those via the trade market. You're going to have to pay way more than you want to get one via the free agent market. Uh, Drafting is really the way to do that, kind of the only good way to do that. Um, And you have to make those top picks count. And I think that's something that's certainly lacking with these draft classes. Right. And don't, you know, it's fine to swing for the fences. Don't swing for the fences when it comes to size. It's not going to Yeah, work. no, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Which, you know, I think a couple of these were that. So that's that's why I bring mm-hmm. that up because that's that is Hayden Flurry. That's that's Nietzsche's. That's not so much Jake Bean. That one I felt like they did that was more appropriate. Like you saw offensive potential, you went for that. And yeah. it sh- it showed up a long time in Charlotte for them. Didn't, you know, didn't didn't branch out from there though (laughs) um all right so moving on to his trade history which you know arguably a little bit more relevant right now as we approach the trade deadline this year the kraken uh let's talk about it rj that first that first ever trade getting a sixth round pick for jay harrison what'd you think was that the right move oh yeah (laughs) oh man you could analyze this one for a week you know i don't get me started here uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we'll probably uh, just skip by that one. Yes. Quickly. All right. You wanna you wanna kind of take the lead on the on the trades? Since yeah, absolutely. For the draft. Cool. Um, the trades. This is this is kind of my favorite area, and I think mm-hmm. an area where the GM really has the most impact. We you talked about kind of the mixed impact of the GM versus the scouts and drafting and that sort of thing, where it's really kind of hard to pin the responsibility on the GM or the scouts. But trading, this is entirely the gm's area this is you know kind of where he really i mean yes he'll consult with scouts about who to acquire and whatnot but this is the wheeling and dealing this is the negotiating part this is where great gms separate themselves so i'm excited to dive into this and the first you know kind of real task that ron francis had after being named gm was this 2015 trade deadline Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think it's going to be interesting to look at because um you know the at this point the hurricanes had a 22, 30, and 7 record, 51 points. They were second to last in the Eastern Conference. So they're clear sellers, mm-hmm. not too unlike the position the Kraken might be in, you know, come the trade deadline. So clear sellers. Let's see what Ron Francis did. And interesting little note here the trade deadline was March 2nd, and he made three deals on the 25th, 25th, and 28th of February. So he got out a little bit ahead of the trade deadline. We'll see if that's something mm-hmm. that. He wants to do this year. And I know some GMs like to do that. But so the first of these deals, uh, he trades away Yuri Tulusti 
rental winger, 23 points in 52 games, kind of a depth winger. And he gets a third round pick and a fifth round pick in return. So nice little bit of business, you know, rental winger, get a couple picks. Not a ton to say. I mean, do you have anything to add on that one, Dylan? Other than I just like it because it shows that you're willing to 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 make any and all deals, right? Exactly. That's that's what this trade tells you. And to and to get a third back for, as you say, a rental depth winger. That's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, nice little bit of business there for Ron Francis. But he mm-hmm. was not done that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made a larger move, and he kind of had. His biggest piece there, and that's defenseman Andre Sekera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good defenseman, not a superstar by any means, Mm-mm. but, you know, top four guy. I remember he was kind of thought of as, you know, could be that last piece for, you know, a cup contending team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not unlike, I mean, he plays differently and he's a very different defenseman, but as far as value comp wise, not unlike Mark Giordano this year. Uh, that's probably true i think the age I mean, it's thing probably a little bit the age helps the age but he was a rental helps. he was he a was rental. rental he was a rental well, probably um, a little bit more valuable yeah i, I just think knowing how this trade turned out also it kind of like colored the opinion a little bit there because well, sekera fell off a little bit afterward it, he did he did uh, I'm, I'm not judging it based on that as far as just comping it to geo it's 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 a 10-year age gap that you're talking so understand yeah it's i think that plays the biggest role as far as you know could we expect to see something like the package he got in carolina no we're not yeah i I do think there is a better comp with a later trade that we will get into here Mm -hmm. um but uh anyway so the hurricanes get the rights to uh roland mccown and uh, a 2016 first round pick so the next year first yeah. round pick from the kings it was so that that is it had competition there yeah and it was it was it had the potential to be 2015 there's conditions all That's that right. kind of stuff conditions so and all that yeah but, yep so it turned out to be 2016 um but yeah so it's a, a second round pick because mccown was 50th overall in 2014 and then you know a first round pick so that's a pretty good package uh you know for for the asset that you have there mm-hmm. and i remember at the time you know the king's everyone kind of thought they gave up a lot but hey if this gets them another stanley cup it's worth it yeah um, you know and good on ron francis for kind of maximizing that right now and his his contract was running up right yeah like it was, yeah, he was last a, year. Yeah. yeah he was a rental so yeah anytime you get a first round pick for a rental it's you're set yep you've done your job for mm-hmm. sure um so this trade i know the king's looking back at it was probably a bad trade for them i think this might be one reason the gms have kind of you know, wised up a little bit and maybe you couldn't get this return now for a similar asset. Um, or, but yeah. Or that might be in part because of a trade made later on with the Kings. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to that. Um, but then three days later, uh, Ron Francis does another trade. And I think this kind of falls into the category of like the Toulouse one mm-hmm. where he trades depth defenseman, Tim Gleason to Washington for uh, Jack Hillen and a fourth round pick uh, in that year. Again, depth defenseman, you get a fourth round pick. Jack Hillen coming the other way. Um, as far as, you know, why that player comes back, I found a quote from Francis at the time. This gives us a chance to take a look at Jack for the remainder of the season and continue to accumulate assets for a deep draft this summer. Yep. Sounds just like Ron Francis. Um, and <laughs> good. Good on him getting extra draft picks. So he's got a third, fourth, and a fifth, and a first, mm-hmm. you know. So nice bit of business there at that trade deadline. Yeah, and again, clear out the depth guys that you know you don't necessarily want to hang on to. 
Like mm-hmm. that's it's that's fine to do. Um, yes, you're taking them for you're getting dart throws back, right? Fourth round pick, but as we saw, Carolina under him, you're able to at least get depth guys back in return out of those kind of the fourth round picks and stuff. So, um, but but you at least have the upside. You know what Tim Gleason is, and you know it's not necessarily what you want. So you might as well try again. Exactly. So I think this would be a good blueprint for any kind of selling team deadline. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to that offseason, uh, you've got starts here in, in late June with a couple goalie trades. Mm-hmm. And Ron Francis has just had some really bad luck with goalies, I will say, over over the course of his GM career. And he even kind of alluded to that uh, in, in this in interview that he did with, like, you know, Seattle News Station, uh, where they asked him, like, you've had some pretty bad luck with goalies. Like, yeah. Just trying to get yeah. one stick here. But uh, he gives up a third round pick and a seventh round pick for Eddie Lack. And that's probably the, the best, you know, of these goalie trades. That would actually mm-hmm. went okay. Lack was a, a serviceable goalie. Um, fair price. Yeah, you're and, not giving yeah. up you're not giving up too much for him and you're taking on somebody that you think might have the potential to be a starter, but just hasn't been given the chance. You know what I yep. mean? And I think that that's an appropriate kind of, you know, an appropriate amount of assets to give up for that guy that you're taking a flyer on and saying, I think there's the potential here. Yeah, exactly. So I I have no issue with that trade. Um, And then on the same day, he trades away a goalie in the organization, Mm -hmm. Anton Hudobin, Mm -hmm. a goalie who's still playing uh, (laughs) and uh, gets, they get defenseman James Wisniewski in return. So thoughts on this deal. I mean, it's an interesting one. You're adding to the blue line. Wisniewski, just an interesting player, interesting career overall. Sure. If you if you look at him, I think you're bringing a little bit of offense to your blue line there. You're looking maybe for help on the power play. Uh, I think it's fine. Obviously, you bring in Eddie Lack. You've got too many goalies now. you got to ship one out. You might as well do it for somebody who can help you somewhere else. So I, I kind of like that as a hockey trade, a one-for-one. Yeah, agreed. And it's, you know, just kind of this flyer here. Wisniewski ended up only playing one game for the Hurricanes, but as we said, yeah. you know, interesting career. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, then in September, uh, there's a trade with the Blackhawks here. Um, the Hurricanes get uh, Joachim Nordstrom, Chris Versteeg, and a third-round pick. Uh, the Blackhawks get Dennis Robertson, Jake Massey's signing rights, and a fifth-round pick. So this is kind of one of those you know capped up deals the the blackhawks had some cap trouble they needed to get rid of some guys mm-hmm. um and and we'll see this as a bit of a theme uh <laughs> here but uh yeah they get christopher steeg essentially just for the price of taking on his contract and you get a, a you know a pick upgrade as well uh, yeah i mean that's that's good business you're taking advantage of another team that is not in the best of bargaining positions uh, would have, you know, liked to see maybe him take advantage of that in the expansion draft this off season. I was just going to get there. Yeah. But, I, I think that's yeah. the kind of deal you would have liked to see more. Mm-hmm. But, so. uh, otherwise, you know, it's, it's hard to complain about doing something like that. It's not like Christopher Stieg was, you know, any slouch either. Like it wasn't going to light the world on fire, but a pretty good player. Yeah, exactly. And, and good to know that he can, that Ron Francis can do this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yep, so now we go on to the 2016 trade deadline, um, which was February 29th. Uh, it didn't get too far, you know, just one day out ahead of it. But uh, Hurricanes had a 28, 26, and 10 record, 66 points, 12th in the Eastern Conference. So not quite in that playoff spot, but, you know, not 
quite last. Um, a and little you better can... Yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, and you can tell, right, all these moves we've been talking about, they've, they're adding NHL players. Like, they, they, they clearly felt that entering that 2015 offseason, okay, let's try to remake ourselves, let's make a push for it. Exactly. And so that, that push had, you know, kind of got middling results. Mm-hmm. And But you see, you know, what type by what types of trades they made, you see that they kind of felt at the end of the day that they were sellers at that trade deadline. And the most notable uh, of those trades is the Eric Stahl trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, trading away, you know, longtime captain, franchise center, Eric Stahl uh, to the New York Rangers. Now, it was the last year of Stahl's contract, you know, kind of wanted to go somewhere he knew he could, you know, be competitive and be in the playoffs. A really tough deal for Ron Francis to make. Now, Stahl, 50% retained also on the contract. Um, he only had 33 points in 63 games. He was definitely having a down year, mm-hmm. you know, after a knee injury, didn't quite look the same. And also, he reportedly had a no-trade clause and only wanted to go to the Rangers to play with his brother, Mark. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of limits what you can do as a GM. But Ron Francis ultimately gets a deal done. He gets the rights to Alexei Sarala uh, and a couple second-round picks. Sarala was a, a third-round pick, you know, the year prior. So prospect in a couple seconds. Kind of an underwhelming return for a player of Eric Stahl's caliber, you know, even though he was having a down year. But it's just a tough trade to make, right, Dylan? It is a, it is a pretty tr- tough trade to make. That being said, Stahl was very much trending downward and fast like Mm -hmm. like if you look at those previous three seasons they are very big steps in the wrong direction so maybe you're also looking at things and saying okay he has played a lot of hockey up until this point maybe the wheels are just starting to fall off here and then as you mentioned can't can't be understated we knew he was going to the rangers i remember that deadline like it was a foregone conclusion that's the only option so when you have next to no bargaining power it's hard to judge. <laughs> yeah, you get what you can get. Mm-hmm. So he did make another deal that day, and that is uh, actually flipping Chris Versteeg, who we talked about earlier getting from the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes to the LA Kings, you know, do, doing some more business with the Kings. Um, and um, Carolina gets uh, Valentin Zykov mm-hmm. and a conditional fifth. The condition was not met, so it just turned out to be Zykov. Zykov was a second-round pick three years earlier in 2013, mm-hmm. you know, this prospect that maybe needed a change of scenery. Um, I, I mean, I guess the notable thing is that he kind of went with prospect over a pick. He tried to identify a prospect that, that he might like. It didn't pan out, but it's a decision there, right? You could have asked, kind of asked for a draft pick, I would think. It, it is, but it, it makes sense because if you look at the, <laughs> I don't want to say long career of Valentin Zykov, but it, it is kind of a long career, very high second round pick, somebody that had a ton of scoring potential um, and somebody that many, many teams tried to make work like there was a lot there. I remember I loved this guy going back to his the 2013 draft, everything like it all seemed like it was there. It never ended up working. Ultimately, Carolina tried him in the NHL, Edmonton, Vegas uh, is kind of where he you know was his last shot and couldn't quite make things stick but you're talking about then four total teams and organizations trying to make this guy work there was a lot there to like just never kind of came together for him um but i but i like that yeah flipping an asset you you know you you took off the blackhawks hands things aren't working out this season go ahead flip that guy and and take a shot on somebody that you think has 
you know, potential top six potential. Yeah, that's just that's good value. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the next day, February 29th, uh, he uh, trades away John Michael Lyles in kind of a third pairing depth defenseman, you know, offensive side to him. Uh, And he gets back uh, Anthony Kamara. uh, Not really much to say on him Mm -hmm. and a third and a fifth round pick. You got two picks for a depth depth defenseman. Well done. Mm-hmm. So exactly, and that's the kind of thing that gives me hope for a Giordano trade this year potentially. Is yeah, you know he he knows how to work. Certainly, at least the market on the blue line. Those are the trades so far that we could say exactly. you know feel okay. Um, because that's you know at the end of the day, I mean, I remember there was so much talk about John Michael Lyles that dra- that trade deadline. Like these are the names that people will all of a sudden start freaking out over and they'll talk up and they'll build up to be some sort of difference maker in their minds come trade deadline. That's the piece you need to win the Stanley Cup. That's all you need. Yeah. Push it over the top. Yeah. And it's, and it's absolutely wild. So that's why I understand why people would look at things with Giordano and be like, no, nobody's going to give up any sort of decent draft pick for this old rental defenseman that clearly looks like is, you know, you know, the, the end is near but at the same time i mean good god the amount of talk around guys like john michael lyles is just wild <laughs> yeah we'll see that as we get close to the trade deadline um he also just made an ahl for ahl deal we're not going to talk about that yeah. um so moving on to the 2016 off season we got june and you know the christopher steeg trade was a little appetizer here mm-hmm. uh and now we get the the main course of the um you know the, those cap motivated deals and i love this one this is the kind of thing i was really hoping to see this past off season from ron francis and and this is the kind of deal where i thought oh man he's just gonna kill it this year you know with the with the expansion process and teams being cap strapped because he takes on the brian bickle contract the remainder of that you know four million dollar cap hit um and gets but and, and gives away a second and a third round pick but he gets tevo teravainen mm-hmm. who is a heck of a hockey player um and and that's kind of using that cap space leveraging that cap space that you have uh to get a guy who you know with the hurricanes you know just did really really well i mean you know top season was 76 points like you you can't just find those guys anywhere uh and leverages his cap space to get a guy like that yeah and i think most importantly ended up fitting exactly and perfectly into brendan moore's system in carolina as a guy who could be responsible on the wing as well as putting up points for you he's just kind of turned into this this really really nice player for them obviously we knew he was going to turn into a nice player he'd shown flashes of that in chicago beforehand but just just one of those guys that is I don't want to say a total difference maker, but in a lot of ways is a difference maker. He's going to be someone who's going to give you 20 goals a season. He's going to be responsible both ways and he can play with anybody. And I think that's, that's one of the things you got to factor in too. Sometimes is you want to bring in guys that, you know, all right, I don't know exactly where they're going to go, but I know that it's going to work out somewhere. A lot Mm -hmm. of times you'll see guys bring in, whether it's prospects or guys at the trade deadline and you're hoping it works out, but you know, and you can have a plan for it, but we've seen a lot of times got, you know, how many wingers have we seen brought in by teams? Okay. You're going to, we're bringing in this guy to play with this center and then they just have no chemistry. You know what I mean? 
it's so hard to know. It yeah, is. Get that. But certain guys, you know, just have that have that skill, have that ability. They're going to fit in somewhere, as you said. Right. And, and Tara Vinen is one of those guys. So, yeah, you can't say enough about how great this trade was. And again, taking advantage of Chicago's position and, um, you know, using your leverage. Exactly. So got a couple more AHL deals. And then we go on to the 2017 trade deadline. Um, so the trade deadline was March 1st and he got out ahead of it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, you know, making some trade, a couple trades on the t- February 23rd and 28th. Um, so hurricanes had a 25, 25 and 10 record, 60 points, second to last in the Eastern conference. Again, sellers again. Um, so that's their position. Um, and they made two trades. The first one, and maybe this is the better comp I was thinking for Giordano, is uh, you've got, they trade away Ron Hainsey, mm-hmm. veteran defenseman. He's 36. Uh, and another guy people viewed as maybe this is the last you know piece to win a Stanley Cup. Um, turns out there might have been something to that. Um, <laughs> and he goes to Pittsburgh, the eventual Stanley Cup champion that year. Uh, and the Hurricanes get back in exchange. Uh, Danny Cristo, prospect, and a second-round pick. Yeah, it's, it is more comparable to Giordano. Um, Hainsey, you know, he helped Pittsburgh win a cup. You can't ask for more than that. Um, but, it, but at the same time, again, this is why I think a first-rounder is not out of the question for Giordano. Because, I mean, good God, the difference in name recognition between the t- those two, right? Like, again, this is another <laughs> oh, yeah, example. Trade deadline, prices get wacky really fast. And, um, you know, if I could see if if Francis plays it right and plays it kind of like his track record here at Carolina is, which is I'm going to try to get out in front of the deadline. If he gets out there and starts shopping Giordano two weeks ahead of the deadline and says, hey, look, you can take your chance on maybe one of those other guys or you can take this deal right now and, and know you're getting this guy and have him for those couple extra games. Maybe if it's a borderline playoff team, uh, you can take advantage of that. But to get a second round pick out of that is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Ron, Ron Haynes, he's a good defenseman. He was a great last piece, but you know, he's never received a Norris vote. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, no. Giordano, a Norris winner. You know, it's yeah. The difference in name recognition is, is mm-hmm. crazy there. And then another deal that, that I like the, the other deal that he made was uh, he trades Victor Stahlberg, depth winger uh to ottawa for a third round pick mm-hmm. yeah just That's another good bit of business yep just more more doing that and, and accumulating assets for guys that you know aren't going to be around long term they're not necessarily doing too much for you that's that's one thing that you do and it'll be interesting to see how much of that there is this year for the kraken they've got a lot of those guys on deals you know that, mm-hmm. are, that are expiring kind of depth guys it's it's going to be interesting uh, so then, uh, moving on to uh, you know later that that off season. So, excuse me, we're, we uh, see a trade here <laughs> that uh, again, Ron Francis, bad luck with goalies. Yeah, <laughs> we've got uh, bringing in Scott Darling to be you know kind of the future in net for the Hurricanes, giving up a third round pick. The price is fair for you know you're you're mm-hmm. trying to get you know that goalie. You see with that and the Eddie Lack deal, kind of the the caliber you know that he was going after and you think maybe you know because these aren't you know th- these are guys you're taking a gamble on right these are third round pick tier goalies that you're trying to gamble on you wonder if after all of this it just like this season like screw it i'm just getting grubauer i know he's a top end guy 
you know, no more messing around with this. I hope they work out stuff with the goalies. I think that's exactly what happened. I think he was like, okay, I can get Drieger. That's awesome. I feel like that's that's a good mm-hmm. one. But again, that that kind of fits in with a lot of these guys, right? Eddie Lack, Scott Darling, right? Um, and that's why when Grubauer was available at a decent price, I think he pulled the trigger, even though they weren't planning on it because he was just like, no, uh, if I can get a sure thing, I'm going to get it. Little did we know Ron Francis just has some sort of, you know, bad luck charm somewhere, you know, in his <laughs> office, on his person somewhere that just renders all goalies terrible. Yep. that That's the only thing we can conclude at this point. <laughs> it's, um, the number one takeaway from this whole deep dive into his history at <laughs> <in> Carolina. <laughs> yep. So that off season, it's 2017. So you've got the Vegas Golden Knights coming in with the mm-hmm. expansion draft. Uh, Hurricanes did pretty well. They gave a fifth round pick, you know, just to, to you know, have have Vegas take someone who who I don't think turned out to really do much. Um, they did because, as you remember, Vegas took a whole bunch of defensemen, mm-hmm. went and tried to flip some of them. The Hurricanes were interested in one. Uh, they gave up a second round pick to get Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Uh, they got a seventh round pick back. Um, but yeah, just kind of paying a little bit to Vegas there to get a defenseman. I don't know that TVR really turned out to be a second round pick worthy defenseman. Uh, maybe didn't identify the right guy there, but but that's a trade that they made. It was um, he was the guy that was available, and certainly at this point, you know, if you've been paying attention, you've sensed a theme of them tr- selling at the deadlines because the team's not going anywhere. I think mm-hmm. again, Francis knows. Okay, I'm starting to get onto the hot seat here. This team's got to make the playoffs. For sure. I think he knows he needs to make some additions here because, yeah, the the pressure is ratcheting up now as we get into 2017-2018 season. Um, He also trades away Eddie Lack to the Flames because that didn't work out. You know, he brought in his goalie, Darling. Um, And then um, the final trade that we're going to cover here, uh, he makes one more addition, you know, from Vegas on July 4th, another guy that Vegas kind of flipped. Uh, He gets Marcus Kruger. You know, the the former Blackhawks center there um, for a fifth round pick. Figure he's going to be you know just a good bottom six center, defensively reliable, that kind of thing. So that's kind of his his last addition there, uh, mm-hmm. going into the next season. Yeah, oh. and uh, didn't yeah. didn't save him. Nope. <laughs> so we so finally we head into the 2018 trade deadline, uh, and didn't really do anything. I mean, they're 27, 25, and 10 record. 64 points so they're 10th in the eastern conference couple mm-hmm. spots out of the playoffs they, they ended up not making the playoffs that year by the way but they're yeah. they're in it and so you know i found uh a, a post trade deadline kind of media availability with ron francis as they're interviewing him and it was very interesting to watch um because they were asked you know like what why didn't you do anything and you know he said you know we looked at some pieces to add but the prices were pretty steep you know, we didn't feel like giving up a first round pick or some big asset for, you know, to add a guy. Um, but we, we also looked at moving pieces out for assets, but there wasn't really anything there either. So we just really didn't do anything. And you can tell that that the pressure has kind of ratcheted up on him at this point in Carolina. Um, you know, I mean, there was a question about, you know, what, what would you say to fans who think this team is is just on a hamster wheel, just kind of going nowhere? Such a brutal question. I know. What do you say to that? I mean, you know, he's like, well, there's progress in the AHL. You know, we've, we've got Jake Bean and, and Nietzsche in, in Charlotte doing really well. And um, and the very next question they just throw at it, you know, a lot of the fans think, you know, pretty much all the goodwill has burned away. 
you know, what do you have to say about that? Um, unbelievable. And, yeah, and 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 Francis just kind of looked defeated at that point in, in that media availability. It's just you could tell that the end was probably near if they did not, uh, you know, find a way to get into the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And that's you know, there it is. That's the end of the story. Right. Well, really, the that begs the question: Should he have been more aggressive at that deadline? You're in tenth. You know things are bad you know what the fans are thinking all of that that's the time to maybe just go all in or is it you know i don't know do we give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was thinking of the franchise's long-term potential and even if he wasn't going to be there he wasn't going to screw him over just to try to save his own skin well there you go i think you kind of made the arguments on both sides i think if he was just concerned about his job and keeping his job yeah i think he takes a bigger swing because uh, they were, you know, within striking distance of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't want to give up a, an asset and really damage the long-term future of the franchise. And I think you're seeing some of the benefits of that now of him not doing that. Um, where, yeah, it's it's a tough call to make as a GM because you might even know this is not a wise move here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but, but it might be the only thing that can save my job. It's, it's tough. So maybe there's an element of, you know, just wanting to do right by the franchise. Maybe there's an element of, um, you know, I think of that, that quote from Moneyball, the A's managers, you know, I've got to manage in a way that I can explain in job interviews, (laughs) you know, maybe he had to do that, but, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just not very Ken Holland of him. Say that, (laughs) say that, uh, I, I, then, then last question, let's say, the Kraken are in that position next year. Kind of almost in the playoffs, couple points out, trade deadline. Do we want him to do anything different? You know, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think he's got to stick by what the plan is. One, I think he'll have a little bit more job security, certainly if they're on the bubble. Yes. But but also, yeah, I, I just don't think as as good as it would be to get you know a playoff run for this team and everything – um, you don't want to jeopardize the long-term future of the franchise. You certainly don't want to give up a first-round pick if that's what it's going to take to bring someone in who could be a difference maker. Maybe you add a depth guy, you know, one of those, like, the, the Toulousti or John Michael Lyles trades or the third and the fifth, something to just get the fan base going where you're not giving up too much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough to lose those picks, but, you know, it, it could be worth it. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't want him to take an unnecessary big swing. And, and I trust that he wouldn't, given his history with the Hurricanes. Because if there's any time to do it, it's then. I agree. I think that's where you'd see potentially a bigger trade happening, where you're utilizing cap space. Mm. Not not necessarily of the caliber of Jack Eichel or something, but I think that's where you see maybe a trade for a pretty legit player. Not a rental. Someone who works for now and yeah, the future. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's what happens then, is he gets aggressive trade-wise, but it'll be something more along those lines, which, again, I'd be in favor of as well. Interesting stuff, though. I don't... Overall conclusion, do you have one? I, um, he's, he's pretty you know, okay at drafting, but nothing yep. special. I, I don't know. You know, I didn't... Because before we looked into any of this stuff, I did not expect to come away more impressed with the trades than with the draft history. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to like the drafting and I thought I was going to not like the trades. Mm-hmm. And it was act- just given from what I've seen, you know, with him in Seattle. And it was actually the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. So that's been the biggest surprise for me. I would like to see more of Carolina Ron Francis when, when making trades. Yeah. 
and, and hopefully we'll we'll see that at some point. Um, you know, and the, the drafting's just very okay. So I would like to see a little bit more aggressive, especially early on drafting. And I, I you know, we may have seen that a little bit with Matty Beniers. Mm -hmm. We didn't go with one of those defensemen who you know is going to be a safe pick or anything because there were yeah. some that were talked about. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I think the Beniers picks pick helps obviously your second overall that's higher than anything he had in carolina it, really the only top five pick he had was the noah hannafin one and like i said at the time noah hannafin was like the slam dunk you know mm -hmm. he, this guy's gonna be a franchise defenseman kind of thing just nobody yeah. could tell you why which is i guess a little bit of a red <laughs> flag but everybody was like no he's gonna be great it's gonna it's fine he's awesome um so you know it helps out we'll obviously see where they're picking this year i you know, depending on where they pick, I've said it before, if it's kind of out of the top five, I got no problem trading down. I've got no problem flipping that for a player that could maybe, you know, a young player that could help out this team long term still. But, you know, you already have kind of a feel for who they are. And I think that there are guys out there that you can find that are in interesting situations with their current club that maybe the club would be willing to part with them for, you know, a seventh overall, a twelfth overall kind of pick. Yeah, agreed. So let's see some of that trade magic, Ron Francis. Because yeah, I think we we're going to have it in you. Because I think we're going to start seeing some moves this offseason that show he's more in the 2017 offseason mode than, uh, <laughs> than the 2014 2015 offseason mode, Ron Francis and Carolina. That's just my opinion. But this, this podcast has gone on long enough. Thanks, everybody, for joining <laughs> us uh, for this episode of The Deep Dive. Hope that you enjoyed it watch it on youtube let us know your comments down below you know you does this increase your confidence in ron francis you a little bit more worried now you know let us let us know how you feel about about everything because i'm very interested in that and if you're you know listening on any of the podcast services tweet at us let us know because uh, I, I do i am curious after looking at it because i'm pretty mixed I, I don't know that i'm leaning one direction or the other on it how it makes me feel so it's a uh, it's an interesting one but uh, other than that, fun week of Kraken hockey and, and then the All-Star game, All-Star break. It's going to be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.